0: We will continue our study through the catechisms with the, uh, as you might have guessed it, another question. (laughs) Um, I'll read the question, and then we'll read the answer together. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God, and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and live unto righteousness. Okay. Now, this sanctification one has resulted in many, many questions from many, many people um, in the church. And really, the question comes down to how how in the world can I know that I'm saved because I'm doing these things and I'm not doing that that type of stuff. And it can result in a lot of confusion because we try to gauge our salvation based off of how we're doing or whatnot. And then the, on the flip side, it's, well, why do I need to do anything if I'm saved? Why do I need to have any sort of um, personal life change. Why can't I just do whatever I want because I'm saved? My sins are forgiven. Why do I have to worry about sanctification? Why do I have to worry about growing? So you have a couple different sides of some people are kind of on this end where they're, I don't know if I'm saved because I see these impurities in my life. And then the other side says, well, why do I need to worry about my impurities? Because I'm saved. (laughs) So and everywhere in between, you get questions about this. Well, I don't know if we're going to really solve everybody's questions throughout for all time during this time period. Um, but we will see what the Bible has to say about where does, where does sanctification come from? What is it? Uh, just from your memory, from studies, what, how would you describe sanctification? Okay, you can use as many words as you'd like.
1: <laughs> cleansing.
0: Cleansing, okay, cleansing. Cleans us out so, uh, of our impurities. Uh, what?
1: Cleaning a vine, you know, impurities, infection. Make it
0: grow yeah. better. Yeah, make it grow better. How else would you describe it? The ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Our lives. Yeah, the ongoing work. Go ahead. Did you have more to say? Uh,
1: well, it, uh, it's, it's, it's ongoing work. In our, I mean, it's just a continual process. Mm-hmm. As we respond, I think... I just think of like a, a pool of water with dirt you know, like rocks and the more you pour it in the Word of God, the dirt comes up and it's filters and yeah. it cleanses, you know, but you have to be in the Word and you have to do it
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure. A work in progress. That's a good way of describing it. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Anybody have anything else they would like to add? Well, let's see how the scriptures talk about this. Look at Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses thirteen to fifteen. Second Thessalonians two. 13 to 15. Who would like to read that for us?
1: But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith and truth. It was for this He called you through our gospel. That you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of
0: mouth or by letter from us. So, what kind of things do you see pointed out in this passage about sanctification? God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty behind our sanctification. Some of the confusion that is behind sanctification in our lives is sometimes attributed to us placing too much burden on our own shoulders. We take ourselves too seriously. We rely too much on our own actions. Whereas we see here, sanctification is actually tied all the way back to the same sovereignty that saved us. It was actually through the sanctification, by the Spirit, that we were saved, beginning the whole process in our lives. And sanctification, you know, it comes from, there's a couple different words in the New Testament that teach us the word sanctification. This one happens to be hagioi or hagiosmos, which is holiness in process, essentially. It comes from the word for holiness, really. Hagioi, hagi. Trying to remember the, the root word, but it, the root word is holiness. It is being set apart. And this word used in Second Thessalonians is used by Paul several different times throughout his epistles in relationship to growth, in relationship to being tied to God in a manner that keeps on going, that keeps on enduring. That keeps on working. But at first, you're tied to God. And he did that work from the beginning through his own choosing. And then in verse 14 it says, To which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, he charges us, therefore, stand fast. Hold to the traditions which were taught, whether by word or our epistle because you know a lot of times this is this is the confusion that also happens on the other side where well if god foreordained everything that i do if god chose me from the beginning and saved me and he's secured me why do i have to do anything why do i have to put forth any effort well in this same context he says therefore stand fast and hold to the traditions that were taught to you This is not an excuse in Paul's mind to not strive. It's not an excuse. Our culture doesn't like the understanding of being under under the necessity of obeying a higher power. We don't like to obey the government, except for where it benefits me. (laughs) We don't want to obey God outside of how he benefits me. It's all about my benefit. And we want want a God who says, you're saved. Now just live out the rest of your life in relative peace and tranquility. Do what you want. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you're going to die. And we're okay with that kind of a God. But we're not necessarily okay with the kind of God that says, keep going. Strive. Stand fast in the things that you've been taught from Scripture. I've chosen you. I've picked you. I've sanctified you by my own will. I've made you holy. I've set you apart. I've called you out of the world. So strive, and we'll see this more. Look at Ephesians chapter four. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Interrupt. When he mentions traditions, there. What do we? What
0: Traditions would be. There's only a few. There's a few places in the epistles where he. he uses terms like traditions or religion. Traditions meaning, and religion being closely tied to it, how you play out your faith. How are we supposed to live out our faith? Traditions that were taught, um, like for, for instance, Paul taught the women to wear head coverings when they were worshiping or when they were praying to show that they were under the headship of, an author- of the authority of their husband. That was a tradition that Paul taught the people to keep to, with a spiritual meaning behind it, with a spiritual purpose. Was it like a moral thing in and of itself? Is a head covering a moral entity? Not necessarily, but it's a tradition that these people were supposed to hold to um, for the sake of honor, for the sake of respect, for the sake of submission, for the sake of something that was morally significant, for the sake of something that was spiritually significant. So a tradition was something of that sort where... You know, This is how you carry about yourself in the assembly. This is how you carry about yourself in your, in your relationship with God. This is how you live. That was in essentially what Paul is talking about when he uses a word like tradition. A religion meaning being a broader scope of this is the conglomerative whole of how we practice our faith. Traditions being those specific things. They were not, not to be confused with the traditions of the Pharisees that were meant to... Kind of replace God's law. These traditions that Paul taught were traditions that stood for something and they were supposed to uphold God's law. Again, the traditions of the Pharisees that Jesus condemned were traditions that kind of gave the people an out concerning certain laws given by God. For instance, Jesus gives the example that you know, they said you know, the people could get out of honoring their father and their mother if through supporting them, providing for them, giving um, support to their father and mother, if they just said, well, these these monies that I could use for my parents, it's Corbin. It's set aside for, God, for the worship of God. It's set aside for the ministry. So I can't use it for my parents. And through that tradition, they were essentially giving the people a way to opt out of honoring their father and their mother like the law taught, like God taught. Whereas the traditions of Paul were... This is how we can uphold the law of God. This is how we can obey God. And here's a way that we can do this in the assembly. Or we need to have unity. So, here's how you're going to speak in tongues. One, two, three at the most. That's a tradition. That's a teaching that Paul taught how the people were supposed to conduct themselves in the household of God. Those would be traditions. Does that make sense? Answer the question. So. Catholics
1: have a few more
0: traditions What? Catholics have yeah. a few more traditions. Right. That's, that's their snare. And, and a lot of those traditions will replace <laughs> what God has said, rather than support what God has said. And that's the problem. When a tradition replaces something or distracts from God's Word, that's when your tradition is in need of <laughs> the boot or at least great change. Because it's not wrong to have traditions. Like some of us would, would refer to some traditions as standard personal standards. You know, this is how I dress when I go to church. This is the type of music that we have in church. Those would, be the, those would be types of traditions. They are not moral obligations given to us in Scripture, but that's how we choose to conduct ourselves in the household of God. And a lot of that's on an individual basis. Some of that's on a corporate basis. But nonetheless, they're similar in that regard. But it's... When you know even those things can end up being detrimental to the health of the body if we see them wrongly, if we see them as the moral code rather than something that we use to honor God. Does that make sense? When a tradition is the moral code, that's when it's the problem. When it's simply supporting the way we worship and honor God, that's when it's okay and sometimes necessary. Any other questions about that? Comments? All right, Ephesians chapter 4. If somebody could read 17 to 24. Sure. So in here we see another illustration, not illustration, just a teaching, that we don't just get saved and you sit there. You grow. And in 424, the word for holiness there is another word for sanctification that is used throughout Scripture. You're, perhaps the translation that you're using might use the word sanctification, and it's the word Hasiotes, which is another word that it keys more on the sanctioning, the choosing, and the setting apart of God. And, or, and it carries more the undertone of the ordination, something that's determined by God to be holy and just. This is an immutable position of holiness, and it's passive. It's not something that you did; it's something that God did. Which we did see elements of that in Second Thessalonians two or in two thirteen as well. Um, and that's why these words are often used interchangeably, but they have a primary function, and they have alternate, alternative functions also, which is really the case for a lot of Greek words. But in this case, you have in verse 24, put a, and this is another contrast, put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So it's a command from Paul, put on this new man... That God has already created. Okay, so it's like to, to many this is a paradox. And really, to the logical mind of man, it is kind of a paradox. If God has already made it so, why in the world would we have to put it on? If God has already done the thing, well then why do we have to do the thing? And I'm not really expecting anybody to have the answer. Books and books and volumes have been written on this subject to try to explain it, but... And I've read many of these things, and I've, I've come to the conclusion that we're not supposed to necessarily understand it. <laughs> but we're supposed to obey it. We're supposed to believe it and obey it. Yeah, God has created it, and we don't understand necessarily. And it, it comes back to, do you understand the Trinity? How, do the, how three persons in the Trinity could be one person? Well, how can, this, how can two, op, two things here, this, this duality of God made it, but you still have to make it, <laughs> God did it. You still have to do it. How can those two exist in the, at the same time well it 's similar like a Trinity or how is a how is a couple? How are the two souls made one when they 're married when, when they 're married but yet there 's two distinct people well there's there 's a oneness that is truly made in that in that um, situation. But how in the world could that be one, but yet there' are two it 's all coming back to we are in one in some way walking according to this great paradox that started way back in the nature of God before anything was even created the very nature of God being trinitarian that nobody can still understand the answer of which lies outside of our ability to compare contrast or understand but the
1: of an atheist
0: uh, that's weird yeah. <laughs> Do you have citation <laughs> on that <laughs> you know yeah who Okay. Okay. Yeah. And quite, and quite frankly, we can resonate with that because some of it is like, I don't understand it, but you know what? We're told to do it. We're told to believe it. We're told that it's so. And a heart that is already submissive to God will understand it. Well, not understand it, but understand that it's true. It's, I need to follow it. Somebody whose heart is not submissive to God will say, I need to argue with this. I need answers before I'm ever going to believe election in this type of sovereignty. Doesn't it take the Holy Spirit within us to easily have some
1: level of acceptance
0: mm-hmm. beyond human
1: comprehension?
0: Yeah. So it's the
1: Spirit
0: within us. Yeah. So you can go forth, believe it, it's mm-hmm. beyond you. Right. That's faith. Yeah. Yeah, and like you said, you know, it takes the Spirit to do that, but then we're also commanded to do that. <laughs> you know? for <laughs> Spirit. <laughs> Yeah, right. And it's, it's, a confusing, it's a confusing paradox, and it's supposed to be. But I just want to read that again, because people don't want to believe this. People want to believe one part of it, that God created it, God created our righteousness and gave it to us, but yet we don't want to believe that we have to go and put it on, that we've got to, we still have to go and walk in this newness of life, and to put off the former self that He explained in uh, the previous verses, to stop walking according to our old lusts, the lewdness and our uncleanness and our greediness, those things are natural to man, but we don't, we don't want to necessarily put those off, because those those benefit our lusts, those benefit the, the primal desires of the flesh. The but the
1: amazing thing about that, even though you
0: don't understand it, when you
1: look at it, mm-hmm. it tells you what to do, and mm-hmm. you actually that mm-hmm.
0: increases your faith Yeah. Even though we can't understand it, it's right. up faith. Right. And it's really that faith. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we need the faith to walk in this way and to truly submit ourselves to it. Look at, uh, let's see here. Let's, for the sake of time, go to 1 Corinthians 6 9 through 11. Who'd like to read that for us? First Corinthians six, nine through eleven.
1: Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, that you were washed, that you were sanctified, that you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God.
0: Yeah, and that's a, this is a beautiful passage, perhaps one of the most beautiful passages for those of us who have really been convicted by our sin. Who have really grieved over our sin. That yeah, the, this list of sinners, these people do not inherit the kingdom of God, but even though we were all of that, we were washed, sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. In this... And this carries both of the implications that we've talked about from the the different words for, for, uh, for sanctification, that God did the work in pulling these Corinthian people out of this past life of lewdness, of injustice and depravity. He did the work of pulling them out and He washed them. He justified them. He sanctified them, made them holy, making them new people, both positionally And practically, when Paul says such such were some of you, he's not only saying, well, you're righteous now, but he's also saying you're not doing those things anymore. Both of those things are active in the presence of a believer. You are new. God has justified you, and now you are walking like one who has been justified. You have been made righteous, and now you you have repented of those things that were behind, and you're walking in this righteousness becoming more actively righteous day by day and that also carries a lot of confusion for people because people get so convicted over the fact that man i just fell again i just keep falling i thought that if i got saved all of this would be put behind me and i wouldn't struggle with this anymore what would you say to that person
1: Need this help.
0: Something's
1: keeping me from confessing that to God. I'm thinking it, but
0: confess it to God. Confess that you're wrong. He says if you don't confess it, he'll forgive you and cleanse you. So somewhere you're you're getting in the way. Right. Sometimes we're not clean because we haven't confessed. Or we don't sense. Yeah, right. Bless you. Right, you're afraid to bring it up even in your prayers. You're afraid to confront it, to really own it. What else? What else what other advice would you give to somebody? It's
1: common to man. Yeah, it's common to man.
0: yeah, right. Yeah, right. And just the very nature of growth itself. When you're born, you're not all of a sudden going out to get a job, right? <laughs> you know, and a lot of these these confusion comes for new believe comes to new believers. You know, I, you know, I dealt with that a lot with the guys at Wayside back in Illinois. They received Christ, but they just couldn't understand how in the world am I still struggling with all of this? You know, and I, uh, I'm working to. Expand my communication skills, and I printed off this picture here. Hey, Jalen Tucker, do you know what kind of tree this is? No? No? Does anybody know what kind of tree this is? Apple tree. Hey, you guessed it. This is an apple tree. (laughs) But is that kind of an apple tree going to be giving us apples anytime soon? Yeah. (laughs) No?
1: Eventually
0: what eventually. eventually but it's still a sapling and Jayla and Tucker you're still little saplings <laughs> and you know spiritually speaking young you're still young still in the beginning stages and sometimes it's simply the simple answer to the question why you're still struggling with all these things and falling and you know you can't seem to get a handle on everything is because you're still a sapling you're still like this this apple tree that's still very little and it's not bearing fruit yet. It's not gonna bear fruit for another how long does anybody know how long it takes for an apple tree to start giving off apples, even little ones? Five years. Close. So five years. Yeah, five, six, seven years, something like that. You know? It takes time. And some people start bearing fruit like that. Some people overcome their old habits quickly, their old sins quickly, their old stumbling blocks. But most of us, most of us are just like the natural process of an apple tree where we're planted, you know, we get saved, we're washed, we're cleansed, we're sanctified, we're justified. But then it takes a lot of time before we actually start bearing fruit. But we should be bearing fruit once we've matured. We should be maturing. But we'll only mature if we actually step out into this process of sanctification and take our part of the responsibility in it. If we're not bearing fruit, it's probably because we haven't owned our responsibility in the sanctification process to go out and be renewed <laughs> in our lifestyle, in the way we view the world, in the way we address Scripture. Jane Tuck? Mm-mm. You know? And just like. You know, the freshmen in college sometimes they think they know everything, but then they start failing their tests and like, oh wait, maybe I should study for this. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little like that. I was a little hot headed freshman, if you could believe it. Jayla and Tucker. So I think according to testimony of others that we haven't had so much here, but the persecution has two across there. Yeah. Because it really starts, it really makes you choose. Because if you're not in the in a situation where it's hard to become a Christian, it's easy to just say I'm a Christian. But if you're forced to choose, life or death, abuse or comfort, you know, abuse or, or whatnot, you know, you got You got to own it quickly. But Psalm one verse three says, you know, who is the you know the person who is blessed and delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night? It says. He's going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf all shall, shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. But it's important to see there, he's going to bring forth his fruit in his season. Even the apple tree doesn't bear fruit every single day of the year. Some days, we're going to be bearing a lot of fruit. Other days, it's going to be a uh, hunker down and rejuvenate time, learn time. You know, suffer time where you're not really bearing a whole lot of fruit. Some days are like that. Most days are probably like that. You look through the saints in the Old Testament. Abraham spent most of his life just Jay, okay, up here, doing nothing. There's a few stories in Abraham's life that are significant, but the rest of his century-long life is pretty obscure. <laughs> Moses was in the wilderness for 40 years before he ever went to Egypt to set the people free. You know, most of our lives, you know, sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. We think that every day is supposed to be a high, a mountaintop, where we're supposed to be amazing for God. But that's not how anybody's ever lived. Even Jesus took days where he just went up to a mountain and prayed. <laughs> didn't, you know, didn't try to do anything amazing, he just went to pray. The first 30 years of his life was in obscurity, in Nazareth. You know, We can't take ourselves too seriously, but we need to take God very seriously. Take His desires very seriously. We need to enter this path of sanctification. Take our place in it, but also, not relying on our own selves, but remembering. God has already created this. He's already chosen this for us. But we have to walk in it. Any questions, any comments? hmm. You know that he has chosen us. Yeah. And it's his work in us. Right. It's not so much me me. Mm hmm. Because
1: it's not about me. hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: And there, then the truth that, regardless of how good we try to be, he reminds us that we're still filthy, dirty, or rat Yeah. You know, we don't have any righteousness
0: about
1: ourselves.
0: Yeah. How good we try to be. Whose righteousness do we have? It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not the righteousness of me and my traditions. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we have to always keep that on our mind. How can we glorify God and be thankful to God in all things? Because we know God is the founder and doer of all things. Even though our hands might be in the process of it. Any other, Anything else you'd like to mention or ask? Or is a yeah.
1: You asked about advice to someone. Mm-hmm. The main thing going along with what's been said
0: is don't give up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You, give
1: up. You, you feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Don't give up.
0: It
1: is
0: right. a process. Right. You know, and there's a reason. Have you ever heard of the whole? Uh, you know, every when every, every you know a teenager goes to camp when he's twelve, and he gets saved at camp, and then the next year he goes to camp and he gets assurance of his faith, and then the next year he gets assurance again, and the next year he gets assurance again. Why? Because the frustration and the wondering. Oh man, I, I really didn't do anything for God this past year. I got to get assurance of my faith again. You know, it's like it comes back to what you're saying. Like, you know, don't get frustrated. Don't lose lose faith in Christ because it's all about Jesus Christ. He is our hope. The way how we did is not our hope. You know. And we move forward. We get, we don't give up. We move forward. We go from there. We repent. <laughs> and we get the righteous man falls 7 times and what happens after that? He gets up again. He gets up again. But the wicked fall and they perish. So the right it's not that the righteous man doesn't fall. In fact, the seven times would suggest he falls all the time, <laughs> you know. So don't take yourselves too seriously and think, oh, I never fall, I never I never sin, I never crash and burn. <laughs> you know, we should all be crashing and burning if we're out there trying.
1: Well, as it, one of the truths of the Spirit that comes to my mind, is compassion. Yeah. It's like, you know, I know what you're feeling because I'm
0: right there with
1: you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and those are fruits of the Spirit, that if we are filled with the Spirit, we will, we will grow. Those are some of the apples that we will bear in time. And year by year, we'll bear more apples, and those apples will get bigger. <laughs> I, think, I think your verse there,
1: 1717, 17, mm-hmm.
0: John is yeah. one of the most encouraging things.
1: And latitude, if, if Jesus
0: prayed
1: for his people to be sanctified by the
0: truth. Yeah. Then, then it's going to get done, and yeah. It's going to be just bit, yeah. Right. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's what that verse says. Jesus is praying that to the Father. Sanctify them, make them holy. How? How are we made holy? By the word of God, by the truth from God. Not by the traditions of men, by the truth from God. Your word is truth. So if we are struggling with our sanctification, we think, man, I'm just, I feel like I've crashed and burned. I feel like I'm at least in a pit stop and I've been here for years. Come back to the word. Seek God diligently, because that's how we are sanctified day by day. That's how we're sanctified from the beginning for the sake of salvation and righteousness. And that's how it continues. We must be in the Word. It's not a tradition. That's life. That's just how it goes. Anything else? All right.